Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show is my special guest and friend, Steve Cadigan, talent hacker, as well as the first chief HR officer of LinkedIn. We're going to talk about his new book, Workquake, and this is about how companies are dealing with HR in a post-pandemic world, so don't go away. On this week's tech news, Virgin Orbit is successfully launched its first commercial payloads into space. This means that there's another company that now has a track record of delivering satellites into orbit, and they did this at 11.45 a.m. on June 30th. Slack, which was just acquired by Salesforce.com, the messaging company, has announced that they now have voice and video integration. Now, again, I don't know how this will be available to the freemium users of Slack, but as Slack integrates more and more with enterprises and Salesforce, this is continuing to show this wave of having enterprise voice and video tools available in messaging applications. Amazon is trying to block the new FTC chair, Linda Kahn, from hearing their antitrust case. They are saying that she's been too vocal of a critic to what Amazon has done in their practices the past however many decades, and that she would not be unbiased. So they're asking that she recuse herself from anything involved with the Amazon case. And in the last news, Robinhood, the fintech company that you can do stock trading on, was slapped with a $70 million fine over its trading service. Uh, They are accused of neglecting to do their duty in supervising their trades or maintaining their technology properly and to successfully protect their customers. This is the largest fine in FINRA's history. And actually, Robinhood has already agreed to pay. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm really excited to introduce my good friend and returning guest, Steve Cadigan, talent hacker, first chief HR officer of LinkedIn, and very well-known keynote speaker, advisor to many companies, startups, and enterprises, all in relation to talent. Welcome back, Steve. Hey, Keith. Good to see you, man. Thanks for having me back. Thanks. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited to be talking about your newest book, Workquake, today. Before we do that, I wanted just to reset because I know that we have a long history together, both having worked in M&A integration at Cisco Systems during the dot-com era, which is still some of the best experience I've ever had in my corporate life. And I think you agree that those were some of the, the battlefield moments that we were in the trenches together and just were able to break bread and really impact companies and where the internet was going at the time. No, absolutely, Keith. Uh, That was a very precious moment in my career journey for sure. And I think the gift that keeps on giving for both of us, because some of the best people in my network, some of the most active relationships I have are people that were with us on that journey. I mean, I was there doing the M&A four years, and then I went with Cisco to Asia for two. 
just, I mean, incredible experience. And we were there before the bubble burst and then after, you know, so it just, uh, but really interesting work, interesting people and you, uh, people on the audience may, may know this, may not know this, but for a week or so in that time, we were the most valuable company in the world. Do you remember that? Oh, I, I completely um, <laughs> remember that. I, I have fond memories of that brief moment in time. Uh, almost thinking that we'd be the first trillion dollar valuation company ever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought the future was going to be ours. And it's the only place I've ever worked where I told myself, and after, after this, uh, after the experience I had leaving, I never did it again, but I, I felt in the early days, I, I'm going to work here the rest of my life. Like I, it was that rewarding and meaningful to me, you know, it was such a great place. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, I thought the teammates, um, this was a period of the internet history, in particular Cisco Systems, possibly some Microsystem at the time, was that um, ask for forgiveness later, do what's best in your heart, and uh, just go forward and make change. And I say that now really lovingly because, as you know, uh, about a year and a half ago, I started the Cisco Alumni Facebook group. And that's funny. You think about social media, that the tenure of Cisco folks at the time uh, really didn't think about having an alumni group on Facebook. And that's really taken off. There's like 5,300 people on it, highly engaged. What? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I think uh, as we're recording this show, I think the Facebook algorithm finally picked up because the first 5,000 people in the first year, that was completely organic, meaning people found it on their own or people referred to it. Somehow in the Facebook algorithm, the last two weeks as we're doing the recording, people are jumping on uh, the search engine feature of Facebook must be recommending, hey, it looks like you used to work for Cisco Systems. You should join this group because it's a ton of organic. I have 1,300 people waiting to get in and I do validate each one individually, which is probably more of a hobby now because it's not really a good <laughs> use of time. But it just shows you that I think for the time and place that you and I were there, and for other epochs, it is certainly a special time in our lives. And I, I really want to reach out to all of our colleagues, past, present, and future, that the Cisco Alumni Group is strong. And as Steve just mentioned, a very strong network. I've had Steve on my show, which he's a returning guest. I've had Dan Scheinman, the first investor of Zoom, also Sentinel One, Arista Networks. The Alumni Group is very strong, very active, and has done many great things for technology. Yeah, it has. And Keith, and, and you know, we haven't talked about this. Well, first, I want the audience to know, uh, Cisco didn't ask you to set up an alumni network. You just did it. And I think that speaks to the special place that many of us hold Cisco in our, in our journey when we were there. But one of the dimensions of what you're doing, I find really interesting. And that is, uh, and I talk to many organizations around, what's their biggest talent challenge today? And the talent challenge is keeping people, right? And so uh, all the data shows from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, particularly in the United States, more people are leaving jobs faster than any time in history. And the pandemic has dramatically accelerated that as people's perspectives of life have shifted and they see the world differently. But here's what's interesting. And what I'm trying to tell organizations like a Cisco, for example, to consider is in a world where more people are leaving jobs faster and companies faster than ever before, that means you have more alumni than you've ever had. Yes. And most companies follow what I call the Tony Soprano school of HR, which is what you quit, you're dead to me. And so that doesn't work today because that pool is worth curating and nurturing and keeping alive. Now, Cisco, I may have thought, hey, this is a good thing. And it, it sounds like 
they've seen what you've done and now they're going knock, knock, uh, Hey, we'd like to participate in this and, and sponsor endorse. I don't know. I don't know what their ideas are, but the only organization that I've worked for um, that's been active from the organization around mining um, alumni talent is LinkedIn. And I get a message once or twice a month. Hey, can you help us? um, Can you give us your perspective on this new product idea we have? Would you be willing to sit in on a panel? Would you like to come to this breakfast where other alumni are getting together? Would you like to come here, Reed Hoffman talk? Hey, Reed's holding this thing. Like he did a whole bunch of stuff on the election. Reed Hoffman around, hey, this is how I'm thinking about the election. If you'd like to participate here, some, and using the alumni as a force for good in the ecosystem of LinkedIn. Now, why wouldn't, why don't more organizations do that? Because they're not thinking about it. And it's a huge missed opportunity. You know, so wherever, wherever you're sitting, whatever organization you're in, people are leaving faster than ever before. And no one thinks it's going to change. Nobody. And this is, I mean, clients in Latin America, clients in Europe, clients in you know, Canada, Asia, everyone's seeing people leave organizations faster than ever before. So this is an opportunity, the alumni, and I'm so, you know, impressed by the work you're doing. And it's a model organization's. I mean, you, you may actually have like a side business ski, like hey, here, I've got, you know, set up an alumni network in a box here. Like, let's go. This is how you do it. Right. And what it was yeah. best is you're, you did it organically and that says a lot, but it, you know, Cisco needs to pull you in and, and try to realize benefit from this. Well, thanks a lot, Steve. That means a lot coming from you, coming from all your tenure. And I mean, Cisco wasn't the only company you've worked with. You worked with some of the leading companies and of course, being the person who set up talent at LinkedIn right during their IPO, post-IPO. And so just thanks uh-huh. again. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Special guest today is Steve Cadigan, who I call a talent hacker, leading leading voice in talent all over the world. Um, you can see him on stevecadigan.com. And we're actually going to be talking about his new book, Workquake. So don't go away because we'll be right back with more Steve. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. And of course, I'm very active on Clubhouse. I'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Special guest today is Steve Cadigan, talent hacker and advisor to leading companies all around the world when it comes to anything related to talent and a term that we're going to talk about, the future of work. Steve has written a new book called Workquake, which will be released on August 3rd. And we were just catching up in the first segment about our tenure at Cisco, which we both had great memories of. And now we're here to talk more about what's on Steve's mind. So, Steve, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks, Keith. Great to be here. So, Steve... Let's go back with the last time I had you on my show, which was a year ago, the pandemic was raging. You gave a lot of great nuggets and advice on what was happening in a COVID environment for the workplace. And you had already some advice. You had some predictions. What has happened in the last year? What has changed or what's been the same? Gosh, Keith, what hasn't changed? I mean, my goodness, I have to say as a closet cultural anthropologist, this has just been the most, uh, you know, fertile period of change, 
changing circumstances on so many dimensions that it's just kept my mind full for, for, for many reasons. And I guess, I mean, there's a lot of places we could go, but I'm going to start with the one that's just on top of my mind right now, which is, I believe the most fascinating dimension of the, the pandemic, and I'm an optimist, and I think you are too, and anyone who listens to you is going to pick that up pretty quickly. Um, I'm an optimist, and what I think the pandemic has served us is a moment. So one of the things uh, I will share with, uh, with the listeners is that, you know, when you're hiring people, like I have my whole career in Silicon Valley, and we were at LinkedIn, and we were losing people, we were looking at everyone that left, like, why'd they leave? What could we have done differently? What happened? You know, what, what could we do differently? And we found something one day by stumbling across it by accident. We found that the largest number of people leaving had one thing in common. They had just had their first child. Mm. Now, what happens when you have your first child is your view of the world changes dramatically, where you want to be, things you value, how you want to spend your time. And I believe that the pandemic for everyone has changed their life perspective in a similar way because we've all been forced to be in new circumstances. We've seen the world differently. Maybe I love working from home. Maybe I, maybe I realize like I like the independent of my decision-making. I like simple things like I can grocery shop any time of the day. I don't have to jam it in on Sunday and stuck in these long lines. Maybe I like to, you know, uh, maybe I miss my commute. Maybe I don't miss my commute. Maybe I you know, love spending time with my family and everyone, or maybe I lost someone in the pandemic. I mean, we've had these incredibly earth life-shaking moments I call it a big work quake. And it's, it's providing uh, an opportunity for people to see the world differently. And the data, and you and I were talking about this off air, the data is coming out now. 40% of the population is thinking of making a move right now. Um, we have more people that have started filing a new business in the last 12 months than in any time we've been tracking it in the United States. We have more people doing side hustles than at any time in history. We're seeing more people change paths. So what's the biggest employee concern in America right now? Retail, hotels, and restaurants cannot hire people. What happened? Well, you know, a cynic would say, well, they're living off the unemployment and the, you know, the, um, the checks from the government. And I don't think that's true. I think maybe being at home and not having that job has had people say, well, when I go back, maybe something like this could happen again. Maybe I need a different path. Maybe I need to learn a new skill. Maybe I need to try new things. And people are trying new things and discovering new pathways. So what I see is really interesting is some organizations that are going to move towards a hybrid and maybe full in person are starting to realize that we need to have new higher orientation for everyone because everyone's different and everyone's changed and everyone's looking at their circumstance differently right now. And I find that dramatic. Like this is a moment right now. And I will tell you, every listener here is looking at their life differently. I learned that I love cooking three meals a day for my kids. I never did it before. I just make their lunch, they go to school. Now I'm on a Zoom call. I'm like, hey dad, when are you getting done with that Zoom call and make me some breakfast or, or lunch? And, I, and I've come to love that. I love that moment of eating together as a family. We're not rushing out to a sporting event. We're not rushing out because there's a practice because those were canceled. So there's no competition for time. And so many of us in this hustle and bustle, wanting to create these great lives for our families, now are sheltering together and experiencing a different life. And I think there's you know, a lot of goodness and people are sort of rebuilding who they are. 
Now, the other thing on this key that I find really fascinating is in, particularly in America too. And I, 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 I did a TikTok on this one. And, and uh, if some of these stories are interesting to you, I've got hundreds of them on TikTok right now. Yeah. And I just hit 100, 110,000 followers uh, this past Congrats. week. But one of the things I think that in America is going to really shake our bones is that I think in America, we all identify who we are with what work we do. Like our identity is, well, I am a such and such at so-and-so organization, or I'm a VP or this and that. And now all that's been stripped away because the relevance of who you are and what you do is relevant when it's told in a social setting. And a social setting kind of evaporated. You're not going to parties. You're not going to clubs. You're not going to kids' events. like, oh, I'm so, that's all gone. So who are you? You are a member of your family. You are a member of your community. And I think the, maybe that whole, and I think a lot of people are like, I'm sick of my commute. Well, the American dream kind of drove you to have a commute because you wanted a big house. So you had to buy a property that's far away because you wanted more land and you wanted the American dream, a big house. So you bought something far away from work. So that American dream kind of just went poof as, you know, maybe it revealed itself as kind of an illusion for some people. So I just find, you know, that's just another part of this thing where, maybe identifying who we are with our work isn't bearing the fruit that we thought it was. Maybe there's something more meaningful because we've experienced something different, if, if that makes sense. But those are the, the big top of mind things for me right now. No, it totally makes sense. And I think it's, it's interesting, right? Because I still live more on the tech world. You're on, on the talent side, which includes a lot of tech companies. And even before the pandemic, in the buzz terms were digital transformation. So the pandemic sped yeah. up digital transformation by a minimum of five, probably 10 years for some company because they're forced to, and there's cybersecurity aspects on remote work. And also the, that the automation train was, was already taking off. Um, we've got yeah. predictions by McKinsey, Bain, Boston, that uh, up to 73 million jobs in just the U.S. alone would be affected in some way, alluding to them disappearing and with 55 million of those jobs coming back in some form or fashion, which is still an 18 million job gap. And that was from the, you know, the kind of the cold, heartless corporate side of things. You're bringing <laughs> in that human element, right? This is where some transitory period that even if automation was coming, who's going to be quicker in deciding their, their outcome? Is it going to be the worker who says, I'm quitting, I'm leaving, I'm going to start my new thing? Or is it going to be the company saying that we've now automated burger flipping or we've automated truck driving? Yeah. So Keith, what you're, what you're mentioning is, and thank you, we did not script this audience, but this is the impetus for why I wrote WorkWake, why I wrote it, because I believe that we're having a conversation about future work, which is causing more fear and anxiety. And by the way, we have a first unicorn in the anxiety economy. It's called Calm, the meditation app. Yes. It's the first billion dollar valued organization realizing success because of heightened anxiety and depression and fears that we have. I'm not saying that the future work is causing that, but you know, things are happening. Technology is accelerating faster than our ability to digest it. Jobs are changing quicker than ever before. In recruiting, we jokingly say, what's the shelf life of a job description? Well, it used to be about six months and now it's probably about two weeks. And anyone who's <laughs> ever written a job description knows what I'm talking about. You hire someone and then the world changes. You need them to do different stuff or you know, whatever customers needs change and so forth. So we're in this evolutionary period. And the reason I wrote WorkQuake is because I don't think most companies and individuals too, we've evolved to recognize that there's a new contract to work. That the old model of, hey, you commit to stay here a long time and I'll commit to employ you a long time. And we both pretend that we 
uh, we're going to follow our end of the bargain, but we both know we can't because the future is unpredictable and I could get a great offer tomorrow uh, and you could have a customer you know, cut you off and so you're going to have to lay me off. So we can't, but that's how we still operate and it doesn't make any sense. And what I'm trying to do with WorkQuake is say, listen, the future works very fluid. People are leaving jobs faster than ever before all around the world, particularly in the United States. I mean, in Silicon Valley, do we have a 10-year anniversary celebration? No, we have a 10 weeks, you're still here? Oh my God, let's have a coffee. Thank you for staying. I mean, I'm, I'm embellishing, but you get the point. And I think we have to look to industries where they build models that anticipate you'll leave. So for example, we started this at LinkedIn. And this is where kind of some of the ideas took, took root for me. When we would interview you at LinkedIn, and I still think they do it today, say, let's talk about when you leave LinkedIn. People are like, what? You're firing me and haven't even started? Like, no, let's talk about, because we know that your career is a journey and we're part of that journey. Where do you want this to take you on your journey? So we know how to design this for you. And why I think the model work is broken is because most companies try to sell you that you should like their journey. Instead of saying, what's your journey? Let's see if your journey fits with our journey. They say, well, no, no, you got to love our journey. It's a great journey. You should like this journey. And that is not going to work anymore because people have more visibility to choice than any time in history, right? Our generation, our, the people in the workforce today can see more what's possible, what jobs are open, what the leadership style is like, what the culture is like, what things people are learning, the rewards they get. We can see that more than ever before. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to make clear to organizations is I think we need to move to a model where we don't promise job security. We promise something bigger, that's right. There's something bigger than job security. What is that? I'm going to have you come back on the next time <laughs> and talk about what that promise is. You're listening to Silicon right. Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Special guest is my good friend, Steve Cadigan of Cadigan Ventures. He is a talent hack, first chief HR officer at LinkedIn. And we're talking all about his new book, Workquake, and what's been going on since the pandemic. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. And we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with my good friend, Steve Cadigan of Cadigan Ventures. Steve is a talent hacker, keynote speaker all around the world, and a consultant advising many companies on talent. Uh, Steve has written a new book called Workquake, which we've been talking about today. And before we go further, Steve, what are some of the details? When is Workquake available to the public? Yeah, thanks, Keith. Workquake uh, is going to be shipping from anywhere you can buy books on August 3rd, anywhere. So it's pre-order available, Barnes & Noble, a Goodreads, uh, Amazon, wherever you get your books. Uh, I don't think it'll be in stores until the stores realize, hey, this is a great book. We need to carry it. So um, but we are doing really great on our pre-orders right now. We lit up on all the websites probably two weeks ago. So I'm super excited to share with the world uh, something that I think is top of mind for everyone. Like, what is the future work all about for me as an individual and for my organization? Awesome. Awesome. So early in the show, we talked about, as we always do, reminiscing about the special time in the dot-com era with our joint efforts in M&A integration at Cisco. We then shifted into the state of work since the pandemic and what has changed, which is everything. Uh, Steve was a guest on my show last year, right in the midst of the pandemic. We're now talking about Workquake and I had to cut you off, Steve, because we ran out of time in the last segment, but you were on yeah. this buildup of the promise of the future. So I wanted you to continue on that thread. 
Fantastic. Thanks, Keith. And again, I, it's just so fun to talk about this with you and, and to, uh, to also watch your journey because I know you're helping so many people and organizations really frame the future work in a way that's constructive. So I, I feel like we're on the same team uh, again. But what I was trying to say before the last segment ended is the promise most organizations make or their belief is that what you, the employee, want is job security. And I don't think in the economy today that it has holds as much merit or value as something bigger. Instead of just caring for someone when they work for you, how about caring for someone for the entirety of their career? Which means I care about you when you're here, when you're not here, that I want to give you something better than job security. And that's something I call career security or taken up another level, knowledge security. I don't think anyone, if they're told in the interview, hey, you got a guaranteed job here for the next 20 years. Anyone who believes that I think is you know, living in a cave. No one's going to buy that. And no one's promising that today. So let's promise that whatever happens, neither party can, you know, make a commitment, but let's commit while we're together, we're going to make this experience as great as it possibly can be. And me, the employer, what I'm going to promise you is whether you have a job here or somewhere else, I'm going to make you better for tomorrow. And that's, I think, a more meaningful, a more realistic, a more relevant, um, you know, contract than one that says, I only care about you when you work here and that my journey is more important than your journey. And only if you like my journey, am I going to hire you? You know what I'm saying? So, and that's a big pivot. So what organizations have done that so far? It turns out we've got at least two that I'm aware of and probably more. One is the consulting industry. The consulting industry is built on a model that says, come here and then please leave after three, four, five years. And the better the job you get, the better we look. Because the better job you get, the more I'm likely to hire new grads because, hey, we hired Keith, we hired you right out of school, you did these great projects, and these cool companies, and for you, it's a buffet table or you get to sample all these different cultures and companies and see what you like and maybe go work for one of our clients. But if you get a great job after, I get to go back to the school and say, hey, look, Keith was here and he did great work and then he got this great job in this great company. And they've built that model. In fact, they make more money when someone leaves because the longer you stay, the more you, you are paid and yes. the more new grad, the less a new grad makes. So they want more new grads. It's part of their system. And they've built that model. Now, not every business can sustain that, right? If you're building something that cures cancer, for example, or gets people on the moon, right? Well, in consultants, you see the weakness that during the pandemic, uh, we won't name which ones, but some of them had major, major layoffs because of the lack of work. And so that actual model was also challenged. And just this week, uh, PwC announced that they're changing their entire strategy around how they actually move as an organization. Right, right. And hiring tons and tons of new talent too, which is super interesting. And so, um, so that's one model where I tell people like, look, people are doing it. Spotify, they require their staff to change jobs every two years. Can't be in the same job. No, not every single one. And like I said, this doesn't work. Like if you're putting someone on the moon, you don't want people leaving every two years or so, right? <laughs> but right now, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says people between the ages of 20 and 35 leave a median period of 2.8 years after they're with an organization. And we both know in Silicon Valley, it's a lot less than that for that demographic. So the other uh, interesting uh, place to go look at how they've changed their model dramatically is, and I'm a big sports fan, is college basketball. It used to be in college basketball, you would recruit someone out of high school, they would stay at your school three or four years, and they would the superstars would go to the NBA. Well, right now, the best players are staying six to nine months, and then they're going pro. Yeah. And yet, 
the same programs are getting to the March Madness and to the, you know, far into the tournament every year because they've switched their model. They switched how they operate. They don't build a team over four years. They got to build a world-class team every year with new people. And the promise is different. We're not going to grow a great team. We're going to, you know, we're going to make you better. And we're going to try to do the best we can to realize success in six to nine months. But we know you're going to leave. So we want you here for that one year. We're going to make you better for the next journey, the next step into the NBA. And if it doesn't work out, you can, we'll help you get a job as a broadcaster, as a coach, as a scout, or uh, you know, running a basketball camp or whatever. But come to our organization because our alumni network's really strong. And if the NBA doesn't work out for you, which it doesn't for most, we'll help you. We'll have your back. And so that's you know, pulling people in, recognizing you got to recruit all the time. Your alumni and your brand matters to be able to recruit in that environment. And you have to pivot and rebuild. And so who's done that really well? It's like, look at Duke. I mean, every year they're, they're right there. I mean, this past year was, was a rare year where they didn't make the tournament, but I mean, this is really an industry and sports is an industry. They've proven they've had to shift. And I think many, many businesses, not all, this doesn't, like I said, doesn't work for like NASA shouldn't be, you know, losing people regularly because lives are going to get lost putting someone on the moon. But a lot of businesses need to look and say, hey, no one thinks people are going to stay at companies longer. Let's build a model where we create value differently. Look at Upwork. There's hardly any full-time employees at Upwork, yep. even running the organization. That's fascinating to me. You know, So there, there are new models and new ways, and it's a little bit egotistical for a company to think that they can serve the career needs of everyone the entirety of their career. I mean, no. Everyone changes, companies change. And someone's career needs are going to be shifting. So it's okay. Let's have an open conversation, right? And so that was the impetus for me to write Workquake. And I've got a lot of stories, a lot of examples of organizations doing some really interesting things that are building this new model. And I don't have the answer of what the best model looks like, but I'm, I'm telling people, if you stuck with the old one, I think you're going to miss out because people want to grow and learn and they can find where to grow and learn if it's not in your organization. So how does the conversation get started? As I mentioned earlier, I'm an advisor to two companies that are interrelated. One is called Ahura AI. I've had Brian Talaby, the CEO on. It's um, a startup, but they are doing automation using AI and biometrics. And it's all from a corporate standpoint that they don't want to be seen as the bad guys. So they would adopt the technology in order to upskill their workers faster than AI and automation happens where their jobs get eliminated. So, so that's one. Mm -hmm. The other one that's related is Neuraltoons. So think of her as being the Salesforce. Neuraltoons, which the CEO is uh, Matt Gibson, a veteran. Um, we are almost like Calm. It is using music as medicine and it rides on top of knowing from Ahura what the response is of when listening to music is. Now, these are technologies that are being developed, but it goes back to these are all coming from you know, the corporate standpoint, from a medical standpoint, the human part of it is the assumption that humans want this. They want to ingest this type of technology. I'm using very clinical terms. How does the conversation get started in, in situations like that? Thanks, Keith. Right. I, I think, you know, let's step back for a minute and recognize, as we said earlier, we have a billion dollar valued company uh, and a whole economy called the anxiety economy. Yeah. That I think we have, if I, if I am representing the prototypical employee sentiment right now that I think we, the worst marketing campaign in history is the future of job. We have scared the crap out of people. Like half the jobs in 10 years don't even exist today. AI automation robots going to take your job away. We're not starting with a conversation that says 
We believe that technology is here to make our lives richer and more beautiful and more impactful, to realize a greater life experience. We're not having that conversation. We're skipping right to, oh my God, the tech is so cool. And we're, we're, we're paralyzing people. So when we start talking about AI and this and that, people start tuning out and, and what they're hearing is, my job's toast. I got to start looking for something else. This is a, the organization cares about their tech more than they care about me. And we need to recognize when we use words like digital transformation, those words do not conjure illusions of love, safety, security, beauty. They conjure notions of cold, lifeless, robotic, inhuman. That's what digital transformation conjures up. So be careful how we adopt this. And by the way, I mean, people are already feeling behind. I, I, does any listener right now feel like they're dominating their email inbox right now? They're on top of it. Oh, yeah. No, we're always behind. So let's take control of this, the, of this tech and let's start with the conversation of we want our employees to have a richer experience. By the way, I don't, I don't know any organization that is intentionally going all in on putting curbs and barriers up to when people work and when they don't work. And we have a burnout happening right now on an epic scale that every HR organization, and I'm dealing with some of the biggest HR organizations in the world right now, their biggest concern is employee wellness. And it goes beyond just burnout because no, no one went to school to say, how do, I, how do I work effectively from home? And no leader went to MBA school and said, hey, I'll take that elective on how to lead people remotely. No, there's no courses on that. So we're all figuring this thing out. We all need to give each other grace. But I think we are really running a dangerous path right now of over indexing on, oh, there's a problem. It needs to be a technical solution versus what's the human dimension of this and the impact on my people. And Keith, I want to relay a story, which I've done a TikTok on, where you and I were at Pirelli Optical Systems, which yeah. is a big, our most complex acquisition we ever did in the history of Cisco. And you remember this story. We went in and we went, oh my God, there's 400 engineers in Italy working on very sophisticated stuff. They don't even have PCs. Whoa, wait till we get them the PCs. Then their technology, the productivity is going to go way up. What happened? The reverse happened. And so we went and talked to Umberto Binotti and the rest of the, you know, the uh, technical team said, guys, we gave you great PCs. It's a few months later, productivity's down. What's up? And they said, uh, we used to talk to each other live. <laughs> and now we're sending these emails and it's not the working. And we're just like, whoa, we didn't appreciate that. They had a way of creating value that wasn't based on technology and there's an adoption curve and, and, and maybe we missed something, you know? And that to me, that was a moment. Now, I'm gonna sound like an old person saying all this, but I think we have to appreciate the psychology of people who are feeling really intimidated by the speed, by the depth, by the necessity to keep learning and upskilling, which is not what they were sold uh, initially when they went to, you know, started their career path and blend the two. And I don't know what the right mix is because it depends on the people in the audience, but we have to start with, I think, what's the human impact first and understanding how we're marketing this. Not everyone's going to love the sexy new, hey, we're going to do stuff faster. They're thinking, uh-oh, I'm going to lose my job. And, and that's not a good environment to communicate hard stuff, you know? Great words of advice, Steve. Thanks again uh, for give, sharing all that. One more time, how can people get an early copy of your book real quick. I know it's going to be released to the public on August 3rd. Yeah, released to the public on the 3rd. If you are absolutely burning, burning, uh, you need to have this book right away. Go to amplify.com. That's my publisher's website. They are shipping it now. 
so that's possible. But the big launch we're hitting, um, you know, all the digital outlets will be August 3rd. And Keith, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to, to talk about it here. If anyone, if I struck a chord with anyone, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on TikTok. Uh, I'd love to hear from you um, and uh, happy to engage. Yeah, and you can email us at info at if you want to get connected with Steve. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider, special guest Steve Cadigan of Cadigan Ventures, first chief HR officer of LinkedIn and um, well-known, recognized talent leader all around the world. Uh, don't go away because we're going to finish the show with Steve and his predictions on the future and the pivot. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. My special guest today is Steve Cadigan of Cadigan Ventures. Steve is a well-known talent expert. Uh, we worked together at Cisco Systems where he was leading M&A integration for HR. I was doing the same for IT. And then he went on to be the chief HR officer of LinkedIn during their massive growth and their IPO. So welcome back, Steve. Thanks, Keith. Steve, thanks again for sharing the new book, Workwake. We talked a lot today about uh, where we've come in the last year since you've been on the show with the pandemic. But as optimist, you have always had a bright light. You, you are very pressing and thinking about where things are headed. We talked about technology. We talked about the term, the future of work, and how that really isn't human-centric. Where do you think this is all coming together, coalescing, and what's your next prediction for the next one to five years? So, Keith, everyone wants to know what's the most important skill I should learn for tomorrow, and I have the answer right now for you, for this audience. And it may, it may feel unsatisfying, but it's the truth, I believe. And that is the most important skill for tomorrow is what I call learning velocity. The faster you can learn and apply new things, the more valuable you're going to be to yourself and to your future. Organizations are going to be successful if they can pivot and change and be more agile. And if you have an ability to learn new things and apply them quickly. And I'm dealing with recruiters around the world, and we're starting to see a really fascinating pivot in what skills organizations are seeking. And it goes something along these lines. Companies are starting to shift their hiring based, not based on what someone knows, but based on what they can know, which is what I've been predicting for a while, which is people are going to be hired more for what they can learn, new things, and adjust to new cultures and new environments and new challenges, almost more than what they know, because we know your job's going to change. We know the shelf life of a job description is finite. It's smaller or shorter than it's ever been. So that's my advice to the audience, whether you're in an organization, that's the kind of skill you want to recruit for. And if you're an individual, those are, those are the skills you need to continue to grow. And this is advice I give to elementary schools, junior high schools, high schools, universities around the world. And I get a chance to, to speak to those faculty. I'm like, it's not what you're teaching. It's how you're teaching. It's how they're learning. That's as important as what you're teaching. You know, it's that being able to work in different environments, peer-to-peer, one-to-many, team environments, solving those things. So I think, you know, I'm starting to see some schools do some amazing things and some organizations try some different things. But that's how I would frame, you know, where we're headed and why it's important. Learning agility is the most important skill that you can build. I'm so glad you mentioned that, especially when it comes to university education system. Our system, we talk a lot about it through the companies I work with at Ahura. The current education system was built for a manufacturing production cycle since the Industrial Revolution, and that's universities today. And really, what are we paying for with these elite schools and with the way that the workforce 
makeup is changing. And so I'm glad you brought that up, Steve. That's really important. Yeah. I mean, even to the point where, Keith, do you know why we have summer vacations? We have summer vacations so the kids can go into the fields and help their families with the harvest. That makes sense. That's where summer vacation came from. So maybe it's even pre-industrial in yeah. some senses of the rhythm. But yeah, I, to- I totally agree. And we're, we're seeing some really good uh, experiments in that phase. But I also think, you know, and last point on this one, because you and I, we went on a riff off air uh, a little while ago, which is organizations, if you want to have the best people, you're going to have to design your job so people are learning on the job. When I say organizations that have learned their, grow their talent faster, it's not the ones that build universities inside. It's the one where the learning through the experience, through shaping the job is a really good learning experience. Um, And, you know, we talked about this at Cisco, Keith, after the bubble burst, you know, there was the learning through experience, education, um, you know, and, and the experience is really important. So we're starting to see organizations get how I design the work, the day to day, has got to be rich with new projects, new ideas, new people and experiences. And that's going to feed the thirst that people have to be vital for tomorrow. You know, that's the knowledge security we're talking about earlier. That's great, Steve. Well, with that, we're going to end today's show. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. My special guest today has been Steve Cadigan, talent hacker, first chief HR officer of LinkedIn and the author of his latest book, Workquake. If you want more information, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and I will see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN. 